Greetings, Starfighters. Hello, everybody. Hello, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are freestyling. We are. Yeah, it's a very special episode. Oh, oh, oh. It's a very special Rune Childhoods because we don't we have no we are not focusing on a specific film. This discussion could go nowhere. It could go everywhere. There will be tangents and tangents galore and. I I I don't know what to expect. Would, would a tangent for me be a tangent? A tangent, yeah, a jaunt, just a jaunt, <laughs> just a jaunt. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. You know, Dan's very busy with directing the the play at the uh, school where he teaches, and you know, it's like why put the pressure to do a full on movie where we could just kind of talk more about our own personal backgrounds and also some cool news bits. So. And I, yeah. I do, I do have, I kind of have some one, uh, one more thing for the 30, 39 steps. Oh yeah. Well, now that you're well into the thick of the, uh, actual productions. Yeah. Yeah. So we had our, we, uh, yeah, we had a very, uh, we had a wonderful, successful opening weekend, uh, sold out houses. Thank you. Socially distanced seating. Great. Um, uh, good live stream audience. But so I think. And I apologize if I did did or didn't say this on that episode because I've been talking about the thirty nine steps so much that I don't know who I'm what I'm saying to who anymore. <laughs> and I, uh, I I believe though that we did talk about the the kind of comparison between Professor Jordan and uh, and Donovan in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yes, briefly. Yeah. Now. I happened to put on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as I was uh, as I was getting some work done. It's a it's a good background movie. I've seen it enough times where I don't have to look at the screen to know what is happening. Yeah. And when I do look over, it's usually something nice to look at. And it really I maybe there's some type of commentary track or interview or somewhere where Spielberg talks about it. And I know Spielberg definitely like makes his tributes to his favorite directors in his movies uh-huh. but as i was watching the movie particularly the scene where indiana jones meets donovan for the first time and he goes and it's like and it's this cocktail party there's this fancy cocktail party happening in the middle of the day oh just like in the 39 steps yeah. and it's funny because in uh, in the production, in the stage production, we have the part because Hannah is in Jordan's office and he's waiting and there's a party going on. So we have him just like he opens a door and you hear this like, you know, like swinging jitterbug music uh. in the background. Then he closes the door. It's entirely silent. The door, by the way, has no walls on either side of it you know, on right. a stage set. It is just a door. And he opens it. There's music. He closes it. There isn't. And then this whole meeting happens in the office. Mrs. Jordan comes in sees Professor Jordan with the gun on on Hannah in the 39 steps and says nothing about it. And the scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is very similar, except, of course, that Donovan huh. doesn't reveal himself quite right. so soon. 
Uh, but there's this party going on in the background. The the wife comes in the middle. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not holding the gun or anything. But it's very. I, I'm I remembering th- it now that you're describing it. Yeah, I found it so similar, and I thought that a lot of the. It was even funny because then, um, from there, or actually, and then right before he does find out, before Donovan does uh, reveal himself, uh, when they go to this to the the castle. Uh, they go to the castle where his father's being held and he and he breaks into the Scottish accent. He does this whole Scottish thing, which a lot of the 39 steps is set in sure. rural yeah. Scotland. Yeah. So there were all these like little like connections, both like big and small that I felt while watching. And I was like, man, you know, I feel like someone who's seen Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade a lot and then goes watch and watches the 39 steps for the first time would have that, you know, would probably recognize some of these things. Right. Like, and, huh. and especially if you've watched the 39 steps for the first time and then you go back and watch last crusade, it's, it's really noticeable. I mean that, and like some of the sequences um, in it, some of the chase sequences are just very similar. I mean, to, to that and other Hitchcock films, you know, of course, North by Northwest. Sure, yeah. So there's a couple things that come to mind as as we're talking about this. Well, first of all, we have not covered uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on the show, but we have covered Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, <laughs> which Indiana Jones 5 uh, currently maybe still in production. I don't know. It may be finished. No, I think so, it's still, I think it got pushed back. I think it got pushed back to 2023 in, in the latest Disney slew of release. Well, dates. I know that it yeah. has begun production. That's all yes. I know. Yes. So uh, another thing that you made me think about, and this goes back to the theme of this episode, which I am calling getting to know your armed assailants, which if you are a fan of the movie Airheads, you would know that that is what Joe Montaigne calls the segment in which he interviews Chaz, played by <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Uh, you mentioned that you put on... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as a movie to have on in the background. Now, you and I both do this. The other day I put on The Last Action Hero just to have on in the background. Yep. And I don't think that very many people put on movies just to have on in the background. Uh, I don't I don't know about that. Because I mentioned this to somebody the other day and they're just like, wait, what? I don't You do what? I don't know. I feel like I know people who do this. I don't feel like this I, is you uncommon. Know, you know, and and I'm wondering if that also just, I don't know, maybe it's just because of the people that we've kind of navigated towards throughout our lives, where it's just like, you know, people who watch movies similarly to to the way that we watch movies. Uh, many of our past guests on the show would be some of those people. Yes. And uh, yeah, and I think that, that for us, it's just like a comforting kind of like white noise that, you know, a lot of people would put on to focus. Well, but uh, for us, it's movies. Yeah, it's that. And some like sometimes it's it's music. But like if I need to keep an extended period of focus. Yeah, I'll put on something like I put on JFK. I was trying to, and be also because JFK, there's a lot of work being done and there's a lot of like he's oh, yeah. pulling all these all nighters doing work. So I'm like, OK, that'll that'll make me that'll kind of right. motivate me. Um you know that, and plus, like the director's cut's like four hours long. So yeah, you're not Get like with music. Done. I find if it's a playlist, 
I wind up like skipping around or like reshuffling the order of things. If it's albums, I'm well, switching the yeah. albums. Right. Well, also, right. So there's that. But also there's like, you know, music can have. Uh, it, especially if you just have like on a. I don't know, like a, a streaming services like playlist that they make. Unless you have complete control over it, you don't know what's going to come next and completely throw you off. Whereas with a movie, if you're just like, I know that JFK is never going to get so wild that I'm going to absolutely lose track of what I'm doing. I mean, some of the Lee Harvey Oswald stuff, I think, uh, gets a, a little close there. But um, I mean, there's wild. Still, but it's, I've seen yeah. it. I've seen it so many times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's one of those like Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is another one that I will put on background because just hearing it and it's got that rhythm and the, and the music in it is great. So yeah, kind of depends on what I'm doing. And I don't always do a movie as as background while I'm. It kind of depends on what I'm doing and like if it's a lot of just like data entry basically, then mm-hmm. I'm fine with something like that. If I'm like reading a bunch of short stories. I need yeah. music. I can't have, you know, like narrative. I cannot work with podcasts on. It depends on the work that I'm doing because, well, you and I do very different work. If I am uh, editing and processing photos, I can listen to a podcast easily because it's a different part of my brain that's working. I don't have to be, th- I don't have to think about words. I don't have to, you know, read yeah. anything. It's all just like pictures and, and just image manipulation and stuff like that. And I'm able to have my brain kind of working in several different ways at the same time. If I put on a podcast while doing that and, you know, in a lot of ways it helps the time go a little bit faster. And I feel like I get more out of it while I'm doing that. Um, yeah. Or audiobooks for that matter. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's just an interesting thing. What are your? I mean, like, what are your? What are your kind of like go to background movies? Like you said, That's, I think you said Adam's Family Values recently oh, was a background movie you had on. Yep, mm-hmm. I put on Adam's Family Values because it was just like you know, it's like a a weighted blanket. It's like you put it on and it's just like. It's soothing. The music is nice. You, the jokes are funny. The jokes that you've forgotten are even funnier. Uh, and it's the kind of thing where the movie itself will remind you when it's time to pay attention to it. Like, it kind of gives you these hints where it's just like, oh, this is a David Crumholtz scene. I, ha- yes. I got to watch this. You know, yes. it's like, yeah, you know, you get that kind of thing out of it. So Adam Sully Values, that was one that I wasn't putting on with the intention of it being like super in the background, but it worked out that way. Yeah. And uh, same. Well, Last Action Hero, I knew it was going to be a background thing. Um, I think that for me, there are some Paul Thomas Anderson movies that work really well as background because the, you know, like The Master the music in it is really like soothing and mm. there are the parts of course where it gets tense where it gets pretty tense but like overall there's certain aspects of it where especially the you know the beginning where he's mostly just like on the beach or on the boat or things like that where it's just like calming mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. There's, I don't know if there are any that like I have in like my back pocket that it's always just like a, 
go put it on and everything's going to be fine. Maybe like an Ocean's Eleven or something like that is a good one. Um, Something where there's just like a lot of people doing a lot of things. Right. Yeah. It's got to be. And it it has to be the type of thing for me, at least, where I've seen it enough times because I've tried like, okay, I'm going to get some work done and then let me put on this new like Netflix movie or whatever. It because and I have to watch. I don't know it. I have to follow it. And if it's good, I want to follow it. And then if it's good, I want to watch it when I'm not working. So, yeah, yeah, I need I need those those background ones. I think today was the first time I ever worked or at least first time in a long time I ever worked with JFK on in the background. But yeah, it's an interesting choice. It was great. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's it's just one of my favorite movies. And between that and that it's you know we're we're just about at the 30th anniversary of its release so yeah i mean you have uh i mean so many great actors yeah. in there we we've certainly talked about uh on our water world episode we talked a lot about kevin costner and and kind of our our thoughts and feelings about about him and kind of just how jfk is like the the just right role for him where it's like I just want him to be at work, you know, like, I don't want him to be swashbuckling. I just want him no. to be like sitting behind a desk and getting frustrated. And th- th- which is a, l- a large part of, of yeah. JFK either. He er, 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 er goes to other places and gets frustrated as well. Sure. But J- I mean, JFK. All right. So we're going to look at the JFK cast. All right. So first let's so first like the big stars the names the ones that like when you're playing the six degrees of kevin bacon game oh yeah you're like yeah so kevin bacon there's one kevin um, bacon right yeah kevin uh, bacon gary Tom, oldman gary oldman tommy lee jones yeah wayne joe, knight joe pesci well wayne <laughs> yep. knight mm-hmm. wayne knight to me fits in under the character actors which uh, yeah. is also where character i put like actor, michael rooker sure. like not your headline actors yes. like sissy spacek is it john can john candy's actually really good in it right yeah, after I love watching that John it again, Candy is in it. Yeah. yeah, and and he's really good, and I think he's just like he's perfect for that role. He's like like Oliver Platt would play it if if it was yeah. to be re- <laughs> if it was a Joel Schumacher. Well, because basically his Oliver character Stone. is Harry Rex. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you got the right tata, but the wrong ho ho. Oh my goodness, Uh John Candy. We could play a whole game. Who said it? Uh, Dean Andrews and JFK or Harry Rex? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know if I'm prepared for anything like that right now. I am not prepared for that yeah. either, but it could okay, happen. Okay, we'll do that. I uh, I don't know. We'll find a time when that's appropriate. If we ever just do like a John Candy yeah, tribute. Sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. We could easily do, you know, I mean, October would have been a good candy month. But, oh, uh, true, true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I guess December also is a pretty candy heavy month. Oh, April. I don't know. Yeah, we could look. You could also see when his birthday, when his birthday falls. You know. Anyway, a lot of anyway. So John Candy, great, um, is great in that. Who are some of the other? Uh, I feel like there's some other uh, big names in it. Uh, I'm kind of blanking. Those are the ones that Costner, stick out to Jones, me. Pesci, Oldman, SpaceX. Joe Pesci is so good in it. Joe Pesci is very good in it. But then, okay, so then you have, like, the character actors among, mm-hmm. you know, Wayne Knight, Michael Rooker, Laurie Metcalf. 
Lori Metcalf is great in it. She doesn't show up that much. She's just in. No, she's one... got. She's on his team. She's on like his legal right. team. She's okay. In sorry, I was I was thinking about with somebody else. Uh, it does have Walter Matthau and Jack Lennon. Oh yes, uh, that's and Ed Asner, right? Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Those are the I knew I knew I was forget right. Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. They do not. And Donald Sutherland is also in it. Um, right, Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio is in it, but like barely. Uh, Frank Wiley is in it. Oh, and we can't forget who plays Jack Ruby. It's oh, Brian right, right. Doyle Murray. Right, BDM. Uh, yes, Brian Doyle Murray as... So you actually have like... I love how this movie has like a decent second city uh, presence between that's Brian true. Doyle yeah. Murray and John Candy. You know, like, I, who that's, else? that is interesting because it's like... I know that like... Well, speaking of Paul Thomas Anderson, he uses a lot of comedians instead of just finding the same actors that you always see. He finds like, you know, comedy people to be in his movies, not in comedic roles, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I was trying to think the only one who I could really think of for me was like, was Martin Short popping up in Inherent Vice. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like Paul F. Tompkins is in There Will Be Blood. Like there's... People oh, that, geez. and he oh, also God. he's also a voice in Magnolia. I think he's like a phone voice or something in Magnolia. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. So like, okay. You know, he does that. He's kind of. I mean, first he's married to Maya Rudolph. Like he clearly appreciates comedy. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Um. So. But anyway, yeah. So then, um, yeah. Back to the cast. I'm trying to think of who else is in the cast of J. Of J. Of oh, there's there's a scene that's in the director's cut, but not in the theatrical cut that features John Larroquette. Oh, wait. Yes, the that's in the director's cut. I, then the director's yeah. cut is what I watched the last time I saw because I definitely remember him in it. Yeah, I really don't think that that the John Larroquette because he's a talk show host. Um, right. I really don't think that scene was in the the original. Um, the original release, but yeah. So anyway, JFK, great, uh, great guys. Uh, J O Russell is in there. Who mm-hmm. you see him, you'd recognize him. Um, and I, I know this because I saw him at an ice cream shop once in New York and recognized him. <laughs> Did I was like, oh, J O Russell from JFK. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's. It's just it's such a well made movie. I think despite what you and watching it now. I kind of saw that, like, all right, maybe the perspective of this film isn't like Jim Garrison was right about everything. Because you definitely see that a lot of his arguments are, it is really based on the, like, okay, well, what if? Yeah, I know. And it's, I, well, it's, there's so many JFK assassination conspiracy theories. And, Maybe one of them out there is is right. Maybe no one's ever gotten it right. Who knows? Maybe the way that it was depicted <laughs> to us as the truth was what's right, but I doubt it. I just never, I, I think I had always, watching that movie younger, I always felt that like Oliver Stone was really trying to get Jim Garrison's, uh, you know, theories out there and uh-huh. was kind of framing them as like, as like, no, he's right. And like when you watch the movie and you think about like, okay, well, what, where is he actually showing evidence and where is he just showing like connections that are plausible? Well, here's one thing that we know Oliver Stone was right about. 
is that President Bill Mitchell is not who we think he is. Of course. Yes. And like And for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, watch the movie Dave. I mean, talk about a great play on like Oliver Stone's reputation after JFK. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, anyway, I still really like JFK. It, it like doesn't matter to me what you know, what's true, what isn't true. Uh it's just such a I think a well-made film and I, I think the most criminally underrated performance in that film is probably Gary Oldman as Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, but that's, that was just like, that was the movie I decided to work to because I was yeah. like, you know what? I need to get four hours of of work done and yeah. let's see well, then, if I can do Let's it. move on to some uh, news bits. I pulled some oh. articles that have come out in the past week or so about reboot, remake, sequel, prequel news. And uh, the first one that really caught my attention was, uh, and this is this is the headline from Slash Film, Midnight Run sequel will star Regina Hall, Robert De Niro to produce. So I guess in like 2010, there were rumors of a, a Midnight Run sequel that would have uh, Robert De Niro in it. Um, no Charles Gordon, and and clearly now he wouldn't be involved as he has uh, unfortunately passed away. But uh, and there's no indication of whether Robert De Niro will make a cameo or what the plan is. But I guess things are things are moving. So if they need ideas, they can listen to our Midnight Run episode. And certainly we have many. Do I remember what they are? No, but check it out. Producers, Robert De Niro. Yeah. So I'm just I'm I'm curious. uh I mean, yeah, sure. Regina Hall. Okay. Great. <laughs> is this really like, is it a sequel? Is it really a sequel? It says sequel. But like, is it one of those sequels that just is basically a remake, but under the guise of a sequel? Kind I mean, of probably. Ki- kind but of we like, don't know. and I haven't seen it yet, but I, I did watch the trailer for it. Um, Home Sweet Home Alone. Uh, yes. Basically, Doesn't looks the trailer like, look fun. What? The trailer looks fun. It looks like Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's out now on Disney Plus. It's it's home. It's it looks like it looks like a cross between like right. Home Alone and I want to say like Home Alone three or four. Right. Well, there was only the three. I don't think there was. There a was four. a fourth, but it was not theatrically theatrically. Third released. wasn't theatrically released either. The third was. I, it was third Man. was theatrically released. Yes. But the thing with this new one is like, it seems like they are trying to make it feel like they're not just trying to go like, okay. And then this thing and then this thing, like, I don't know. I, uh, it seems like they're trying to do something new with it and they've seemed to have found a really strong cast. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, it still kind of comes across because they're 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 putting the buzz in there, so yeah, that it's like it's canon. So right, but I think that because I, I think that there's something different about the fact that they that it's coming out this long after any of the like other Home Alones came out. It's right. like enough time has passed where now it's a little bit more fresh. It's more of a reboot 
that pays tribute to the original than just like a sequel. Though I think that the third one, it was not even the same family at all. No. Yeah. They were they they lived in a much more modest home, which is not to say they <laughs> didn't live in a nice home, but Yeah, of course. Um no, I actually think it would be interesting though to I would like I'd love to see um a a mockumentary about the the cushy uh Chicago suburb of is it Highland Park where they Yeah, something like that. where they are where uh apparently there's just like this this epidemic of parents that forget to forget their kids yeah right like <laughs> de- or just detached parents it seems to be just like that they're so wealthy they just are j- detached from their from their families well they have to pay the mortgage on that gigantic home so they're always just focused on work do we know what mr McAllister or or mrs McAllister? because it is not a st- i'm sorry to make assumptions because it is not established who is the Brett? Perhaps they are both the breadwinners. Perhaps they know. own a business. Is he hooked up with something? Now, I could see him as being like not necessarily in the mob, but like mob affiliated. Kind of like an Ozark situation. I don't know if you watched Ozark. I did. I know. <laughs> he launders the money for, uh, you know. No, but exactly. Yeah. That's what I could see him do. I could see him being almost like a like a like a Leo Getz from, hey. uh, from Lethal Weapon. Speaking of Joe Pesci. And speaking of news, uh, Mel Gibson is so far set to direct Lethal Weapon 5. That news was from today. I didn't even put that in my notes. Um, but that's some that's some information that's coming up naturally. It's like, yes, that's in. <laughs> Yes, that is. And there is information. Moving that on. That is indeed information. Yeah. Uh, I will not be watching that one. No. Hard pass. Uh, no. But what I am intrigued by is that Billy Crystal is returning to Broadway in Mr. Saturday Night Musical Adaptation of 1992 film, according to Deadline. I saw that. I know someone who went to see it, like, I wherever it is in, like, previews or... Uh, whatever they're doing, but I saw like someone I know posted on Facebook a picture uh-huh. of the of the program, and I got excited because I saw Lowell Gans and ba- Bob Lou Mandel's names. So. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mister Saturday Night. There it is, right there. I'm just showing you on the thing, and, um, and it's coming to Broadway. Yeah. So it begins performances March 1st, 2022. Official opening night of March 31st. So. That's fun. I feel like that's I mean, a good next step for Billy Crystal is just to he's, be kind of doing his doing his thing on Broadway. He's the right age. Yeah. Like he's he was very aged up like in the flashbacks he wasn't aged up. Right, right, but, right. But so like I don't know does it say like do they have like a younger actor to play his younger self or Oh, you know, I don't know. I didn't go d- that deep into it. No, I saw, I think David Paymer, though, is also yes. reprising his role. Yes, that's oh, cool. Oh, he was so good in that. Uh, moving on, uh, this one is not so much a movie one, but Rob Zombie's The Munsters has begun production, and it has the logo to prove it, according to Slash Film. Uh, the logo just looks like the Munsters logo, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen uh, from it. The, from the original show. Um, so that's happening. We don't really need to talk too much about that. I think that he's a good person to kind of bring that one back, though. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Uh, what I'm also intrigued by is, and this is according to Slash Film, MGM's Roadhouse reboot may be back in business with Jake Gyllenhaal and Doug Lyman in talks. Jake Gyllenhaal not having a great week. Um, 
after all of this new Taylor Swift stuff? Have you been on the internet, Dan? Not the same internet you have, apparently. Gotcha. Yeah, no. Uh, I haven't been on the Taylor Swift net. Well, okay. Jake Gyllenhaal is public enemy number one because he was an ass to Taylor Swift when he was dating her with with a very inappropriate age gap when she was so young. And he may still have her scarf. Just saying. Oh, okay. So now a lot of comments and memes are making sense. Ah, okay. See, you are on the same internet as I am, except you are just scrolling past. I I, I don't get the context. Um, So Jake Gyllenhaal... Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. and Taylor Swift were at the same performance of God of Carnage that I attended back in, what was it, like 2010 or 2011, whenever they were dating. Yeah. And it was like it's a big, that. it was like a big deal that oh. they were there and like that they, they were like rushed out as soon as the performance ended. The one time Jeez. I saw James Gandolfini up close and personal oh. as, as, a, as we were leaving the theater um and walking past like the alleyway i guess that the stage door was in he was kind of standing there on his i could see james gandolfini standing by an alleyway yeah he was just standing there he was like you know on on the phone on his on his phone cell phone like talking i mean you know just talking to his therapist probably i, w- I was not <laughs> nick calm didn't get any gabagool <laughs> so then yeah. So Dan, there was also this is not so much news, but there was an article in a, uh or on Lifehacker and I want you to guess what movie they call out when they mention this question. What movies do people love only because of nostalgia? The Last Starfighter? <laughs> uh that's just us, I think. It's also no. great, and everybody can shove it. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, I'm like, it, so what movie? What Transylvania six five thousand? No, uh, that's only us. That's only us. So, like, <laughs> what, what movie did we cover recently where we explained that the nostalgia factor for this movie is through the roof? Oh, um, you're asking me to remember things. From we did this one like history. two episodes ago. I I'm gonna ha- I have to. Dan, it's Hook. What? what? Oh, Hook. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. If I haven't mentioned, I'm uh, tired. Uh, oh yeah, and Dante Bosco is going to be at the uh, Washington State. Dante uh, Bosco's keeping it fresh. City, Emerald City Comic Con. Yeah, almost making me want to get a ticket and go. Yeah, yeah. There's so, somebody else anyway, who's going to be there too. Anyway, so you said Hook. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, those were just some little news bits that I thought were a little interesting, um, but maybe. We can shift gears a little bit because, Dan, I want to know what your and okay for any new listeners or people who just don't know, Dan and I are brothers. Uh, We have known each other for nearly 40 years. And I, you know, we grew up with such a large age gap, like five and a half years. And when you're super young, that gap seems more like. 15 20 years it's like we don't live in the same world so much uh except at like dinner time and then you know i kind of got like a a view of what your life was like but i want to know from your perspective what was your kind of like i don't know what sparked your interest in movies because you were 
that was a big thing for you starting very young. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to place it. I mean, I was, when I was, when I was a little, little kid, like, I don't remember really like liking to go to the movies that much. Really? And, um, you know, was like, I was scared when the lights went out and all that. And when a little, little, little kid, but, uh, and then there are a lot of movies that I feel like I remember seeing them very young, like on VHS, uh, cause we had like one of the first VCRs. Yeah. That was what my college friends used to call it when I brought that same VCR the to college. VCR. They called it the first VCR. Yes. And um, I remember watching, I, I feel like I remember watching like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I might've just read and listened to like the books on tape so many times, mm. like the, the kids ones. I might've done that so many times that I was convinced I saw them, but I really think it was, I don't know what, I mean, I must've been maybe eight or nine. Okay. When it really just became some like something that I loved doing and I loved like there was something about going to the movie theater and having uh, having the lights go down and the trailers and trailers were so much more awesome back when you couldn't just (laughs) like watch them online and they were it was like so cool or when like when you didn't know everything about a movie that was going to come out or like you found out that it existed because of the trailer like imagine you're a marvel fan and you find out that there's an avengers movie coming out not from the internet like before they even go into production but like when the trailer hits or just like you hear so much about it like go like batman like seeing the batman like i remember seeing the batman teaser for the first time because it was so cool and it was so like what are like oh man what is this going to be like especially when my only sense of Batman was from like the Super Friends cartoons and the 1960s television show so there was so there was that mystery and that excitement and that like what am I like what am I going to see or what is the rest of this going to be like and I feel like a lot of movies that were at the beginning of that for me were like, I think uh, Three Amigos was one that I remember, like, I just really remember, like, going to see it and just having a great time and, like, the lights go down, the movie starts, and you get that, you know, you get the studio tag at the front. Not before there were fifteen of them. Right before the movies. Sorry, I'm just I want to come be, back to that. By the way, so I'm gonna be keep going to be grumpy old Manning. But like, I think about just sitting in the movie theater and you know seeing the the Orion stars mm-hmm. come together, the TriStar Pegasus come galloping towards me, the Universal Planet, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, and feel and just feeling like excited and like all right so for the next you know hour and a half two hours i'm just kind of i am in that world i'm in that world that's up on the screen right so it was so exciting and and cool and i just felt like wow this is how i want to watch things so much so that when letterboxd VHS yeah. became available and I mean, we we've talked about this I think definitely on the Interspace episode and yeah. almost definitely on the Fargo episode as well but even on my 13 inch television I preferred 
letterboxed VHS because I felt like it it felt like, all right, now I'm watching it on the big screen. Yeah. Well, also, it's just like I'm watching it as it was intended to be seen. I'm seeing all of it like. But no, I I know what you mean. There's the psychology of like the darkness around it. Like I'm looking at it and I'm just like, you know what? It's like I'm sitting in a really, really, really big theater and I'm sitting really far back. Oh, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about this on the Fargo episode. That's how I watched Fargo for the first time was on your 13 inch TV watching that VHS tape. And great movies. It's like when I think about like when I think about these movies like, oh, yeah, hmm, I should really watch this on Blu-ray or I should really try to get to the theater for this. I remember I think of all the great movies that I saw for the first time, whether it was on the 13 inch television or something comparable on like VHS pan and scan. I mean, the first time I saw The Exorcist, one of my favorite movies, it was Mm -hmm. an edited for television version. Huh. It was taped off of the USA Network. Interesting. Right. So, oh no, we did talk about that on our exercise yeah, episode. God, yeah, we've done a lot of shows. Yeah, <laughs> and it, yeah. So, it, it, you know, the that I think the other thing is just like the power of a really great movie and a really well made, well made movie, or just the power of of entertainment and getting yeah. lost in something like going to the movie theater and like one of my favorite parts of of going to see the police academy movies in the theater was honestly like the Warner brother logo coming up to the opening of the theme. Yes. I, I, okay. So you're mentioning something a lot that I wanted, that I was intending on coming back to, but now it feels like a good opportunity, but like, do you have a favorite studio logo? Not, and I don't mean like because of the movies that the studio produced, or anything mm. like that, but like, is there is there a studio logo that will always remind, like, have give you like some sort of sense memories or like that really like strikes a chord with you? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I I don't want to like put thoughts into your head, but so I, yeah, they're already there. They're, they're already there. Okay, so what are you thinking? So all right, well, okay, so it's interesting because if you were to just ask me like my favorite logo, it would have a lot more to do with with the movies and not like the motion of the logo because I just love I love the Warner Brothers logo. I love the like late 80s Warner Brothers logo, but Uh it's kind of, you know, simple. There's not much to it. But if we're going to talk about logos with the animation and the music and things that just take me back to a specific time or place, of course, Canon is... is is a must um i would say like the old and the old also like fuck harvey weinstein but miramax the old like just the the old kind of like with the m traveling logo like the the early to mid 90s miramax logo and then oh there was another one that was but but the miramax one is interesting because you knew that you were watching something that wasn't mainstream necessarily right so like there was something that was exciting about like it's kind of like how a24 is now where like you know that you're gonna see something that's like a little fringy and different yeah it's a little dangerous you don't know what to expect yeah so that was what i liked about that the carolco the carolco i yep mm mm-hmm logo which i feel like most people would probably see before what terminator 2 and then did that, they do total recall as well i think i or, want did they also do some of the rambo movies um oh they they uh yeah they might have done like rambo 3 yeah something like that like i feel like i remember it 
with like some Stallone stuff. Yeah. But yeah, but the, the I, I thought the Karolka logo was always um really I mean, of course, it I'm sorry, I know you asked me for one, but Oh no, 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 no. This is fine. I you know, it's such an interesting thing. You know, it's all it is is it's letting people know what studio had this made. It, you know, but Though, but it got to a point where certain things became synonymous with certain feelings. Like, you know, a lot of people probably associate the MGM lion with maybe a Bond movie or something. Or the Wizard or of Oz. Wizard of Oz, that's right. Or uh, maybe, you know, Columbia Pictures makes you think of Ghostbusters. Uh, and, and there are certain ways that, and, and certain ways that certain films and i know this is done a lot more now but like was it in raiders of the lost ark when the paramount logo then goes to a, a mountain yeah they, and, they did that and it's for all like, the indiana joneses they did it for all of them that's right yeah but but it, and then uh it, if you look at other places where that's done like even like the 20th century fox logo in cannonball run uh, uh-huh. it has like the cars chasing oh, yeah, on yeah. it, and I feel like the Fox logo they've done that a lot with like alien, like with aliens. It'll it'll kind of go like a skewer with the abyss. I feel like it went into like the boop, yeah, boop, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like they they do that with Fox a lot, um, and like universe Universal sometimes they'll well, do yeah it. Universal because Waterworld being one Waterworld yeah I feel like <laughs> basketball is another one that used the Universal logo yes. that mm-hmm. way um, I, I I can't think of of too many more <laughs> no I mean if this is all off the dome then it is certainly yeah. a kind of uh, an impressive list already. <laughs> okay, so other so other favorite specialty logos. Um, I've got to go with the the Universal Studios 1990, which was like the the mashup of all the. It was like the montage yeah. of all of the Universal logos, and it ended with kind of that new one. I I, feel, I think of like Kindergarten Cop with uh-huh. that with that logo. There's that one. There's the Paramount 75, which was. Um, during sure. the summer of 1987. Uh-huh. So it's like, you'll see that in front of things like Beverly Hills Cop 2, yeah. Summer School. And summer of 1987 was such a, an iconic summer for movies that that sure. Paramount We've 75, that yeah. yeah, that Paramount 75 logo really uh, takes me there. That, and I, I feel like that one and the Universal logo are are very much like those, those 1987, like- yeah. Logo. You know, <laughs> you know what's also interesting to me is I feel like the one that really started it all, United Artists, really doesn't have like that one hasn't come up at all. It's such an oh, uh, it's go on. it's interesting though that you mention it because I thought of it a moment ago. Okay, okay, <laughs> because you mentioned James Bond, and I was like, sure. you know, you know what? I actually think of the of the United Artists, but I think of like how it was in the eighties. Like I think about yeah. the pre like the Living Daylights. With the yeah, you'd have the MGM thing, but then it would have like the the United Artists with like that slick sounding synth sound, yeah, going, and then you just go straight to like the you see James Bond down the barrel of the gun, yeah. But no, I uh, you know we've definitely talked about the the TriStar Pegasus before, and that's a really fun one. Uh, that one's really cool because you have like a lot more like movement to it. Uh, it's not just 
the try just TriStar, like you have the Pegasus, and that's that's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. I I think that it's a really fascinating. I don't know thing that's kind of come about out of necessity, and I do love it when they incorporate those logos somehow because it makes it feel just like every like everything's more intentional. Um, well, it, also, it also feels like the studio has a part and. I mean, this is something that has changed a lot is that like the studios did used to have their identities and they there were like Warner Brothers always did the gritty crime dramas. Oh, (laughs) that was what you had. MGM did the big musicals. Yeah. I think Columbia was like the comp like comedies. And 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 like Touchstone was going to be like, you know, family friendly, but like, you know, not just not for the little kids, you know. Right. Well, no, Touchstone wasn't even always family friendly. Touchstone, That's true. That's true. you know, you you got your ruthless peoples, your uh yeah. your uh um uh, down and out in Beverly Hills. Uh I know you we've know. done some other Touchstone stuff on the show before. Yeah, t- Touchstone was a fun studio. Touchstone was like it was like the studio that you you knew they they probably weren't going to be getting nominated for uh no, for, no, for major no. academy awards, but No, but they made money. Yeah. Yeah. N- no, and it was, uh, you know, that that was, I like the Touchstone logo, actually. That's it's kind cool. of a nostalgia one. Yeah. That was a very... I mean, the Orion one, uh, I think, was it was always one that I enjoyed. And it, it was nice to see that one again. Yes. Um, back from the dead. Gone, but not forgotten. And, and not I'm sure gone. that, I'm sure that movies have played with that logo before. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but. No, I, I actually, and. All of the Orion films that I'm familiar with, actually, no, I cannot think of one that has played with the Orion. Someone has to have done it. I, if I'm going to watch Ted every didn't. Orion movie, just the first minute. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, no, it dances with wolves. A, uh, yeah. yeah, no, um, yeah, Orion. Speaking of Billy Crystal, the, uh, another great joke. That one Oscar ceremony that I always remember. Oh. Because he talks about the he talks about Orion Pictures going bankrupt, and he talks about how like uh, all all of the Orion films that had won Best Picture, and I think like Silence of the Lambs had either been nominated like that year uh-huh. or had been nominated the year before or whatever. But yeah, he he made some joke about you know how it was just too they were too successful. Yeah, with all of their <laughs> mammoth Best Picture winners. I guess you had those, and then you had like FX. Right. I think, I think was an Orion picture. Uh-huh. FX. I might be yeah. wrong. I don't know. FX, good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about so, it another time. So anyway, um, yeah, no, thank you for sharing kind of your background about loving movies because, you know, well, everybody comes to it in their own different ways and uh, or they don't come to it at all. Well, tell us a little bit about your because you're you actually are, you know, you do still work well, with film and I do you went I do to film so, school right so all right here's my resume uh which which begins with me having a bedroom right next to yours where you had all of the VHS tapes uh I feel like it's it's got been long enough where we can say that there's a lot of things that were taped off of HBO or you know dubbed from blockbuster movies and also you had the one sheets from movies plastered all over your walls from premiere magazine and i think that the influence of that just kind of like it became just a part of my 
every day where it's just like that is a thing. And it's not like I remember necessarily going to like movies specifically as a kid. I know I went a lot and frequently. Uh, and I remember fondly like going into the paper and taking a look at the show times. And that was like the most fun section of the newspaper because you got to see the little posters for everything that was that was out. And you just got to like look up and see like, oh, well, this one's playing at this one at this time and this one. And, you know, it was just exciting to do that. And just like, I don't know, the smell of the paper. Like, that's what I think about when I, you know, feel a newspaper is the mm-hmm. experience of like going to that page with just all those little, you know, rectangles. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was always just like really exciting. And uh, yeah, you know, when I was about 15, it's when I started to uh, play around with video making and things like that. And I, it kind of caught on quickly. I got really into making little videos and stuff like that. And uh, it became clear to me when I was, you know, sophomore, junior in high school that it's, I wanted to do something with that. And I, um, I went to school for film and I didn't as much gravitate towards the production side of things, more of this film studies side of things, mostly because I just loved watching movies. It wasn't so much the like making them that really got me jazzed. It was the like watching them and like seeing all of the things that connected to other movies and I, uh, you know, the the meanings behind things. And that was always fascinating to me. Uh, I actually recently was in touch with one of my old college professors at Temple University. Uh, his name is Dan Friedlander. And uh, he has agreed to take part in my project Statue of Limitations, which if you go to statueoflimitations.net, you can see what that's all about. We've talked about it a lot on the show. And uh, yeah, he his classes were always so great because I, he just introduced me to so many movies that I never would have thought to watch before. And it taught me a lot about, I don't know, the different countercultures in film. And it was always very fascinating to me to kind of explore that side of things. And I worked at a movie theater in Philadelphia. I don't know if it's still called this, but it was the Ritz Five when I was there back in the mid-2000s. I think that the Landmark Theaters bought it. I don't know if they changed the name. And it was not a, like, huge blockbuster movie place. It was uh, more on the independent side. You know, I I remember seeing things like A History of Violence and, uh, you know, just like those kind of movies that you know, critics love, but don't get the the big bucks coming in. And uh, the the constant gardener that was one that was going. You oh. know, it was like that time, two thousand five, <laughs> where it's just like, you know, there were a lot of very like, I don't know. I feel like the movies were just more serious. I don't know. It was uh, it was a bit of a bummer. <laughs> but there the was a lot of fun gardener. stuff. I don't, I don't know. There was a lot of fun stuff too. No, I don't, I don't mean just that one. Like a lot of the movies that were coming out then, and uh, you know, I I got to experience filmmakers like Miranda July, and you know, and a lot of those kind of like 
uh, fringy new uh, filmmakers that were kind of up and coming at the time. And um, just getting exposed to that was really fun. And I went to a lot of like advanced screenings for things just because of working there. Uh, tomorrow night, I'm actually going to an event screening of, get ready, Being the Ricardos. Oh. Coming to Amazon Prime soon, but coming to this screening tomorrow. Interesting. uh, Okay. Have you been listening to the new season of The the Plot Thickens? No. Which is all, it's about Lucille Ball. This is a Turner Classic Movies. They're a wonderful podcast. Uh, The Plot Thickens, which is on its third third season sure. and uh it's all about uh lucille ball cool i gotta check that out i've been listening to it it's very interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to it while yeah. i'm editing photos yeah so i i worked in reality tv for quite a while um i was living i'd started doing it in Philadelphia and in New York. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I produced story for reality shows. I wanted to get into film, but it's just like, it's really hard. I was an extra in a lot of stuff. I, you know, and and that was just a way to pay the bills, but it was a lot of fun to be on a lot of the lots and just to like be part of film production you know, some of them that I was in was like Step Brothers and Hancock. And for TV, it was like a lot of Desperate Housewives and uh, stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, what, I then life took me to what, what's up. What, what of your of your uh, background performances stands as as your favorite or perhaps the quintessential John background? Performance? The quintessential might have been a Halloween episode of Desperate Housewives. That's what you're nodding about. I was thinking that, and I was wondering if that was going to be what you said. Yeah, and uh, shout out to my pal, uh, Turna. She and I met on, I think, Step Brothers, and we ended up doing a bunch of things unintentionally together, and we were on this one uh, Halloween episode of of Desperate Housewives together. Uh, I had an, a bizarre encounter with Kyle MacLachlan. It was great. And, um, yeah, I was dressed as a cow cause it took place at a Halloween party and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, not like there were a ton of us and they were, it was like two nights and they were a full, like all night shoots. It was a lot of fun and, you know, it was in the universal back lot and, you know, we're at the, the houses from Desperate Housewives. I did another episode of that one where it was at like a funeral, but I was not just as a cow for that one. That's um, unfortunate. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, you know, then life took me here to Portland and uh, where I now work at the Portland Art Museum. And I do a lot of work with the Northwest Film Center, which is part of the Portland Art Museum. And I'm loving doing that. It's a fantastic organization. And it's really exciting to see all the things that are kind of coming about uh, in the coming years. Nothing that I can talk about, <laughs> but a lot of things that I know about that are going to be happening that are very exciting. And yeah, it's just fun to be involved with that and uh, to be able to do this podcast, Dan, with you, because as anybody who knows us would know, when we are together, this is what we sound like. This is what we talk about. And for most, it is annoying and but you know what it's just how we think and it's It's, a lot of fun yeah 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are so many different movie related things that we could that we could talk about. And yeah. It's nice to talk about the aspects of movies that are not the movies themselves. Sure. And, and just one other quick thing. It's oh. like this is a, th- a thing about the two of us that, you know, really ties those five and that five and a half year age gap yeah. together, you know, and it's like now we're in the same stages in our life. It's not even a thing. But like, you know, because we have this, it's just like a a, a, a constant point of conversation starts, which is always fun. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, this is kind of, it's my one, it's like my guaranteed time during the week when I just know like that I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to talk movies. Yeah. I'm going to be talking movies. Yeah. I'm, I like have to, and and I, cause I love doing it. I love talking movies so much that I will constantly make references to movies, even in my, my daily teaching job to students. And there's always like one kid who, who will get it almost always. There's like, there's one kid where if I'm just like, Oh yeah, no, this reminds me of this thing in this movie. You probably haven't heard of it. Miller's crossing. Uh, And then the one kid will be like, Oh, the Danny boy scene. And I'll be like, uh, Oh my, you're my new favorite. Wow. No, that's I, that, impressive. That, that specifically has never happened. But oh, here's a here's a really good example of um uh, the podcast kind of infiltrating life is uh the other day we were getting ready before uh our performance of the 39 steps and I forget how it came up, but one of the um one of the one of the kids who's working on I believe it was one of our sound designers was talking about uh having seen um Harold and Maud and not oh. being and was kind of like, yeah, no, you know what movie I just don't know what to make of is Harold and Maud. Oh, really? And I was kind of like, yeah, okay. All right, I get that. Let's talk yeah. about it. I'm like, yeah, it's a different movie if you're used to like I feel like most young audiences are used to like, you know what you are going to see. If you are being told that you are going to see a silly comedy, you are going to see a silly comedy. And Harold and Maude is not confined by by genre or, or rules, really. And so we were talking about it and talking about like just the deeper meanings of it. And I think he walked away from it feeling like, like that maybe the next time he sees it, he'll have a better appreciation for it because I also shared with him and said, you know what? It's a movie that took me a few tries to yeah. to get into. And it helps to watch it at different times in your life because yeah. you come to it with different, you know, background. And uh, that's really cool that this student of yours, you know, didn't have to feel like they needed to have a a solid opinion on it. I, it's not just a black and white, I love it or I hate it kind of a situation. It's like, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about this one. And that's cool. That's really cool. That's yeah. Especially for, for a film like, like Harold and Maude. That's a movie that should have you thinking about it afterwards. It should have you asking other people about it. Um, yeah, but it's nice. It's always fun when a movie, and it's just interesting, like the movies that are that they know of, the the ones that they know of from like the eighties and early nineties versus the ones that they don't. Um, I, I'm hoping I might have turned a whole bunch of them on to throw Mama from the train no. <laughs> recently, mentioning that. But like they don't these and these kids love Danny DeVito. 
But yeah, we were talking about this off mic the other yeah. day. Um, yeah, kids these days love that Danny DeVito. They love Danny DeVito and Rick Astley. So if you ever go back in time to like 1988 and you want to shock the hell out of some people, tell them yeah. what the high school kids are into in 2021. Yeah. Rick Astley and Danny DeVito. There you go. But yeah, so um, it came up because one of the actors in the show, his name was Owen, and we were looking for him. And I'm like, I'm Owen. like, you know, I'm always tempted to just go, Owen. Owen. And I was, yeah, they, they got it. And the, but then, of course, it's like you're telling them, and you're like, yeah, because the actress who plays his mother is really like, oh wait, you guys have seen the Goonies, right? Of yeah. course, Ma Fratelli, right? Oh, Anne Ramsey, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's always that's always really cool. That's always fun. How about movie yeah. posters? I'm curious, like, what are your, like, let's talk about some of the best and, and maybe worst. I don't Well, know. here's the thing. I, I love foreign versions of movie posters. Yes. And there are different, like, social media accounts that have these. There's a book that I have called Translating Hollywood. And my favorite one from that and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Poland does the coolest <laughs> versions of posters because the Tootsie, the Polish Tootsie poster is so cool. I have uh, I have a print of it uh, framed. There was one that I saw the other day that was another Polish version of a, of a movie poster. And I was like, man, Poland is doing it right. Uh, if Tootsie was directed by Lars von Trier in the 90s, this is the <laughs> yeah, poster right. it would have had. I know exactly so, what you're talking uh, about. I mean, I definitely do love Saul Bass's work. I mean, our podcast artwork is obviously Saul Bass inspired. Uh, yeah. Mostly because, you know, he was so iconic in especially those like you know, Hitchcock movies and, and things like that. So I do love Saul Bass posters. Uh, yeah, that Polish Tootsie one is great. Um, you know, there are, there are certain ones that I think about a lot, but I don't know if they're necessarily great. And like we were saying before, you know, you had movie posters and movie one sheets, you know, covering all of your walls and, you know, the ones that I just like remember seeing all the time were like Terminator 2 and, you know, like those. So I just think about those a lot and it's like, that's not necessarily a good movie poster, but no, it's effective. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I'm sure that they could have done a whole lot better, but, you know, whatever works. That the, the, the simplicity of that movie poster actually pays off in, um, is it last? A I think it's last action hero. Oh, last action hero. Where, yeah, yeah, where, yeah. Where it's Stallone. It's Stallone, which that that would have been a lot harder to pull off with a more intricate movie poster. Yeah, I don't know, Dan. Movie posters for you. Uh, what are some of your favorites? Um, I think I always have to start with Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice As, is good. You mean the one where it's got like the house and he's on there's the, so know? much because there's so many little details in uh -huh. it. And it shows you what it needs to show you to get you into the movie. But it also has other things where if you go back and look at the poster after seeing the movie, you're like, oh, right, that. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it is it is interesting. And I think that you also get that. And, and now, because they released the posters and everyone's looking for all the details, especially with like Star Wars ones or the Marvel movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that, you know... 
that look of those like Star Wars movie posters, the like hand painted look and Drew and Struzan. Yeah, like you know, those are certainly really iconic. I can't say they're my favorite, but that's just me. Um, I don't know. It's like, yeah. I, I, so I think about, I think about. All right, so Beetle, and I'm just thinking of like whatever the the one sheets were for American American theaters. Yeah. But I so I think about. I think about that one. The like the Ghostbusters poster is another one that like very yeah. very simplistic, but it's just so good. the Ghostbusters and 1989 Batman, where it's just like very simple. Where very simple but effective. Yeah. Um, same. I think with Jaws, that's a really effective and pretty simple one. It's not as simple as uh, like Batman, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think about some ones that maybe stood out to me. Uh, not necessarily, I think, the best, but one that certainly made an impression is Silence of the Lambs. Right. Yeah, it's a cool poster. Cape Fear also has a cool poster. I don't remember Cape Fears. Cape Fear, it's where it's got like the, um, it's got like the water and okay um, there's like a the picture <laughs> of the family hold on i i think it's like de niro's eyes and yeah so it's like it, it's a really cool like layered poster where towards the top of it you've got their you've got the names and then you've got like a long shot of the houseboat on uh-huh. on the river and then you've got like de niro's okay like, yeah. eyes and then there's like this pic photograph in the water of the family and I think in the, there's even a tear in the photograph between Nick mm. Nolte and Juliet Lewis. Oof. So there's a lot, there's yeah. a lot going on in that in that. You poster. know what poster I do really like, it, and it's not like this is my favorite movie or anything, but I love the poster for Mean Streets. Oh, for Mean Streets, yeah, yeah, it's got a cool poster to it. Yeah, uh, I like the poster for After Hours, which is all. That's a movie oh. I do like a lot. After Maybe hours, my favorite Scorsese. Awesome, awesome poster for after. I speak of uh, of Scorsese. I think Goodfellas has got a great poster. Yeah, to it. Clockwork Orange got to go back to one of my other favorites. Sure, a, a fantastic. Yeah. I think that. I mean, the the thing I think that I like the most about Mean Streets is that it kind of tells you nothing. It's just a. It's just really cool artwork. Right. Oh, I'm looking uh, at it now. Okay. Yeah, it's just a really striking image and. You know, it's like black, white, and red, I want to say. Yeah, like reddish orange, like it gets yeah. deeper as it goes as it goes up. But yeah, you see kind of like the part of the skyline and Yeah, it's cool. It's like just so uh graphical and illustrative and I don't know, it's really neat. I like it a lot. That's a cool one. Vertigo, the uh, Vertigo's got a cool poster. Pulp Vertigo Fiction. Vertigo Saul Bass. Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Well, Pulp Fiction, yeah, Pulp Fiction is doing that's another just like iconic one. Like they really nailed yeah. it with that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, we could go on. Uh, you know, it's, there's I mean, no end to it's this. just, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's some, posters. but I don't know if I have a favorite. I don't know if I have a favorite. You don't know if you have a favorite. I, I mean, the Polish Tootsie po- poster, Polish I Tootsie. think is my, is my favorite. And it's it, not like Tootsie's my favorite movie, as we've no. discussed on our Tootsie episode. It, it's a, but it, no, it's a, it's a cool, po- it's a cool, but po- look, I mean, yeah. 
look like vertigo vertigo's got yeah vertigo's got a great poster i don't love it um i mean other posters that are really that are really great without really doing much there's something about the exorcist poster that i really like and it's like just that one shot yes well that's what i like posters that don't tell you everything they uh you know they intrigue you they draw you in um, but they don't feel like they need to show you like all the characters or like no. they could have easily shown Linda Blair in all the makeup and, uh, you know, it would not be nearly as effective. No, no. Um, oh, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. That's a good one. It's a poster that just does what it, what it needs to do. I mean, the tagline is practically the, the, the star of that, of that poster. Yeah. Try it's to think great. Of some like I'm like, what are some David Lynch? Sixty five million years in the making. Is that yeah? What you're referring to yeah. yeah, yeah. Try to think of like some good David Lynch posters because I I guess the poster Eraserhead for... is pretty uh, iconic. Yeah, Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart is a really oh, yeah. good. That's a good one. Edward Scissorhands has a nice poster. Yeah, yeah. The thing yeah. is, also, there's so many variations of posters that you see now that it's like it's a little different. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I don't know. There's always like, the, and then there's the alt poster and this, this and that. But like, there you go back to the iconic ones. But, you know, Dan, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the time. We're really, <laughs> we, were, we were starting this thing where you were just like, I'm tired. I don't know what I'm, if we're really I, talking I about. Do, I, I do have another point about, <gasps> Bring it. Uh, um, about the, uh, about the movie post about movie poster art. One of my favorite things is that when I'm scrolling through streaming titles and you get like, so you have like the big hit. So like, let's say for example, Christmas movie season is upon us. So you'll see like, okay, love actually, Oh great. Love actually is streaming. And then you'll see some other movie. That's like a Hallmark Christmas movie that wants you to like, think it's love actually. So they like use the same poster, you know, I mean, it happens so often. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're scrolling through, like Netflix or something and you're just like, Oh, that looks like this. And then it's like, Oh no, 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 no. That's how they're just trying to get you. Yeah, no, it's it, like it's called Really Romance or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the uh, Arrested Development version, Love Indubitably. Yeah. <laughs> ah. uh, so, Dan, yeah. one thing that we did not talk about before we started recording is what we're going to do on our next episode. Oh, yeah, we did. So why don't we pick something that. that we just talked about the poster for? Are are do you have one? Are you is this like general uh, waiting? I'm, thinking, or? I'm just I'm freestyling here. That's what we're doing this episode. I'm yeah. thinking maybe we do Mean Streets. Maybe we do. Uh, I don't know if I want to do Jurassic Park because there's so much Jurassic Park. Yeah, uh, and Batman clearly that's uh, well worn territory. But yeah, I don't know. Is there something that's that's come up that's making you feel like you know what? I could talk about that. And no, I don't think that we're gonna do JFK. <laughs> No, I mean, ironically, <laughs> I could talk about JFK, uh, but yeah, no, I I get it. That's a that's a big ask. Um, well, also, it's a you know, it's based on reality, and you know, it's it's a uh, real yeah. You know, I, I do. I th- I feel like I have more. I feel like I'm more. I I actually have more to say about JFK than I do some of the other movies that we've done. <laughs> where okay. I've just gone into it being like, I don't know what we're gonna do with this, and not like not jokingly. I'm not like, oh, JFK the musical. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so oh, what was I thinking? Oh, there was something I was thinking of earlier today that I thought this would be a great one to do. And now it is totally, it has escaped my mind. I'm not quite sure. Okay. I, I'm trying to help you with this one, but I don't know where, where your mind. Yeah. I'm, at. I'm looking at all the stuff. <laughs> I'm looking at, I'm looking at all the posters. We were just, we've done a lot of them. We've done Tootsie. We've done Beetlejuice. Uh, for obvious reasons, we're not, we've done the exorcist. Uh, yep. We've done we we've done so much. One um, thing that I want you know while while you're you're thinking about this, one thing I did want to mention, and I meant to mention this on an episode uh, a few weeks ago, but two movies that you know I uh, that share a very similar visual style poster wise uh, are the Thing and the Abyss, and I love that a lot, but I feel like it was confusing for me. When I was younger, because I would maybe have an association between the two of them because their their posters had very similar looks to them. Anyway, that's just a, a thing darkness I was with a bright light coming coming out of it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm looking at our, our list that we have that we occasionally use. Oh, <laughs> I, um, I mean, you know, I I know we've we've mentioned the last action hero a few times today. You want to do last action hero? Let's do last last action hero. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jack Why Slater not? returns I, on the next episode of Ruin Childhood. I assure you, it will not be a big mistake. Oh my God! All right. Well, Dan, thank you for. Uh, going on this good journey with me, it has it been indeed a good a good journey. I've enjoyed, and I doing hope that this. everybody listening enjoyed this kind of departure from what we normally do. If you're somebody who listens regularly, uh, you know it, it was fun. This was fun for us. If no one listens past one minute, I totally understand. But this was fun for us. This, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we'll do this again. And who knows what we're gonna what we're going to talk about. Like we didn't, there were, there were a lot of topics that I had in mind that did not even come up. So, well, we'll save them for another time. More fuel for the fire. Well, Dan on this, uh, this, this journey we call life. I wish you a good one. And a good journey to you and to you and to you and you and you. (laughs) 